Project A Podcast. Hi everybody, this is the last of four episodes in a series of podcasts about the wider topic business intelligence. We want to know how to build data-driven organizations. And in the last three episodes, we have met Leo, who was responsible for BI at Project A until the end of last year. And we talked a bit about BI legacy. After that, we talked with Philip, our current BI director, um, about new developments, followed by some insight into what BI usually does for marketing, which often is the nucleus for using data in a modern company. Uh, we did that with Philip and Doro, um, who's our CMO. Today, we want to see how business intelligence has grown out of that nucleus and can help companies to be data-driven in all kinds of functional areas. My name is Rainer Berak, I'm COO at Project A, and I have the pleasure of having four guests here today. First one is Tama, our product director at Project A, Tefik, uh, one of our business intelligence seniors. Then we'll talk to Connie, our HR director, And last but not least, Christoph, our Director for Sales and Venture Development. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Rainer. Tama, uh, I would like to start with you. Um, you are responsible for product management. Now, that is typically a function, product management, uh, somebody who oversees the, the, the technical product and who will typically prioritize features when, when, when building a technical product. Um, how can BI help here? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like uh, BI can help us a lot in order to do these kind of jobs. Um, basically, um, the question of, of doing data-driven product management uh, needs to be seen a little bit wider in the scope. It's just not only about doing the prioritization of the features, but basically we're trying to solve or to ask three different kind of questions. Um, first of all, it starts with the question like, what should be on the list? Like normally you can only prioritize a feature in the backlog if it's in the list. If it's not there, like you would not ever prioritize that. And BI can help us to identify these gaps to figure out what should be on the list. So the like, list is the backlog. The list is the backlog, yeah, okay. like the basically figuring out what are the unknown unknowns in the first step. And how do you do that? How do you do that? Like this is a very, very interesting question. Um, there is in my experience no real template for doing so. Um, and we had this problem at some of our ventures because when we start to work with the ventures and to work on different projects, it's normally the question like, what should we do? Can you make an analysis of the platform? And then we are normally, you know, like maybe have some BI reports, we have like analytics reports, whatever, but we are sitting there and having just like a look at numbers. And at some point of time, you know, like, like okay, what is the real question here? What, what are we trying to look at? And for that, it's very important to have some kind of like um, a direction, some kind of like a map that tells you what are the aspects that we should analyze in order to have a good overview of different aspects of the platform, uh, especially not to oversee anything. And you get that information from BI? I can get that information together with BI mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like um, the product managers often understand the context very well but they don't have any quantitative data to make sure that their decisions or the analysis that they do are really profound. Um, and the BI people normally have the data, um, but sometimes they're having a hard time to make the good interpretation on the data. Mm -hmm. And bringing these people together is really enlightening and really, really good, good step forward to this topic. Okay, and now you have your backlog. How does it continue? How does it continue? This, this leads basically to the, to the next question. Um, the question is, what, first of all, do I expect from a feature on the list? Mm -hmm. And the problem with prioritization is, and it's like a real common practice, 
uh, to prioritize based on different factors like business value, effort, strategical decisions, other KPIs that you want to improve. Um, but at some point, it comes to the fact that um, it's something like, like fortune telling. You don't know exactly what you should expect from a feature, and then you start to guess. And because guessing is not really data driven, uh, you start to avoid these kind of things, and then you do some like one to five rankings, do some magic, mathematical, whatever, and then you think you are data driven because you made a logical prioritization. But in the end, it's just like the gut feeling that you invested upfront. So there is no, it's not an educated guess. It's still just like an only a random guess. And what we try to do is we try to to get to a more educated guess by having um, an analysis on the different features and what we can expect from it. Normally, you can see on a feature. Um, which kind of KPIs it will influence. For example, um, you see that, uh, for example, improving the checkout might improve the conversion rate. Mm -hmm. But still the question is like, how much should uh, the conversion rate be approved by this one? Of course, we can say like, okay, we just don't do this analysis because it's not scientific. Um, but if you just do it, it's very enlightening because you see a lot of data points. Mm -hmm. And you start to get boundaries to say like, okay, this is what we could expect from the maximum for the minimum value. You can take um, comparison values in, into consideration, see like what other uh, departments or what other industries have used and, and, and seen this as a benchmark to see or to, to figure out if you are going to be, if it's going to be good or if it's going to be bad, because this is the main question if you see data. If you have a number, it doesn't tell you anything. You always need to have some kind of like a benchmark towards this number. Mm -hmm. yeah? Um, and you can do this um, basically in a very pragmatic approach. What we did in, in other projects was um, to set up a, uh, a Drofix uh, with the BI team or with the BI product managers. We set together, uh, went basically through the major feature lists and tried to figure out if we could gather more information in order to estimate how much of impact this feature will create. Mm -hmm. So we sat together and said, like, okay, this is my feature. Do you have any idea how we can measure or get the first initial value out of it? Um, and the funny thing in this discussion, um, you get a lot of insights because you're looking at different kind of aspects of data. Um, and in the end, um, you're coming to really good kind of boundaries. Of course, it's not always possible with every feature to do an estimation, but um, it's possible for a lot of features. The third one is, um, what did we get out of it? Mm -hmm. um, so normally, um, as a product manager, you do a party once you launch the feature. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is entirely wrong because you need to party if the feature worked out. And just like adding features and being just like happy about a launch is just like counterproductive because every feature adds complexity to the IT system, um, adds complexity to the user experience and will make things harder. Um, so what is very important is to figure out like, um, um, did you do a good job with the features that you launched? And then you can be really honest to say like, okay, whatever we planned here, whatever we created here didn't make any impact or it made a huge impact. Um, and then you can figure out if you want to go towards this one, change the feature, um, just remove it entirely or build upon it or whatever you want to do. Now, how does your team like that? I mean, product managers have this, like, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that take a bit of the magic out of it? The product manager not being the one person just knowing better than the others, but being now basically put into a position where they basically the data take over part of their job? Uh, no, I think the opposite is true. Like in the end, you're creating this kind of magic. Like imagine you're sitting in a backlog meeting mm -hmm. and you prioritize the features. And of course, the product managers, at least often, is not, you know, like 
you're not prioritizing on, on your own. You have other stakeholders included who have their saying in there as well. So, so you f need to find good compromises. Once you have this information about how much impact you want to create with these features, how much you created in the past, and so on so further, um, it's just like a mighty power that you have, an additional power to say like, hey, I wouldn't do that because like three features before we had some kind of like similar approach and it didn't create any value or it just like didn't have any impact. So why should we try it again? So your argumentation will just like get better. Um, and the prioritization meeting are not about like people fighting about the gut feeling what could be cooler to do. So how many companies would you say are working that way today? Is it a common thing to do nowadays? Um, not at all, not at all. Um, like a lot of people claim to do or to be data driven. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to ask this question in my interviews, so like how do you prioritize um, your backlog? Uh -huh. um, and then people tell me, as I said in, uh, earlier, say like, yeah, business value and effort. And then I ask like, hey, what about the business value? How do you generate this business value? What is a business value? And then it starts to get fuzzy, you know, like, so it's a pseudo-scientific kind of approach. Uh -huh. um, I haven't, honestly, I haven't seen much okay. companies doing so that. So people out there, um, as you probably all know, we are always hiring good people for us and for our portfolio. If you want to apply to the product management team, you now know one thing uh, to do right or better not to do wrong when you have your interview with Tamer here. Thank you, Tamer. Thank you very much. Next one is Tefik. Um, Tefik is one our, of our senior BI people, and I would like to talk with you about one of uh, the projects that you have recently done. Tefik, um, you are one of the BI seniors in our team, and you have just recently done a pricing project with one of our e-commerce companies, kfzteile24.de. Now, BI and pricing, how does that interlink? What did you do there? Yeah, for, I think it interlinks actually quite heavily because we think pricing is one of the key topics for e-commerce websites. And as a business intelligence, we are very, in, very interested in every topic where a business can be better or we can optimize the current situation. So I think it's heavily inter integrated. And also, if you think about an e-commerce website, which really large assortment, it is basically not possible to do a pricing manually, right? And I think business intelligence helps companies to automate their processes and also be data-driven and getting the information as it is and combine this information, enrich it, and try to help them with the coming the best prices for their customers and as well as, the, of course, the company. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, now, when you came there, how, how was pricing done there before? I think part one of your project there was basically to assess the, the current situation, right? Yes. So when we started the project, basically prices was basically based on a really easy formula where they were only checking the, if they had these items before in their warehouses and change the prices based on that. But if you think about a really large assortment, as in Kfz-Zeile-Fianz-Fanzig, over 1.4 million items, actually that cannot be the only parameter which should affect your pricing decisions. Yeah. So I think the project was then conducted also with, uh, with some partners from a consultancy, from Simon Kucha and partner. Yes. Right. So basically, after the consultancy helped us to come up with a high-level strategy where we could improve our businesses, especially there were different 
categories where Quartet Alephi and Swansing wanted to be a better or more competitive with the competitors, or some situ some parts where maybe we, our price is a bit higher than our competitors. So basically, they came up with a really high-level project plan, and we were responsible to implement it per product level. So it was important, or it, it, it added value that you and our team was there on board, and it, it didn't stop at that strategic level. No, definitely. So we also involved while coming up with the strategy, providing them data, helping them their testing with different pricing strategies for different pricing of different product categories. And we together actually come up with the final plan and come up how it can be implemented for every individual product and we make it happen that it's automized. So which parameters are today taken into account when defining the price of a product at Kfz Thailand? I think it's a really good question because if you think there are different type of pricing strategies and I think first we should talk about them like if you would like to have for example a margin based pricing where you know how much does it cost for you to purchase one item, you could just add a desired margin on top of it and just market that. That could be one of the strategy. But actually we think in Kfz-Teile, we are caring about our customers where we think how much value we are providing them by selling some certain items and how our negotiations with our suppliers directly affecting our prices. But as well as we have some competitors in the market, so we also have to take consideration our competitors and actually be careful not overpricing them or lower pricing them. And how is this embedded in uh, the technical infrastructure? Does it mean that pricing is to some extent now done through the data warehouse that we have built together with them? Yes, you are right. So basically, data warehouse is one of the data sources where we are using to calculate prices. But of course, it's not the only one because we have to have our prices from the market or our prices in the marketplaces as well, but as well as we have to know how many items do we have right now in the warehouse and how is our current suppliers, like if they are available, how much would we able to buy the products today? Mm -hmm. Now, um, I think I understand that for you, uh, the project is uh, pretty much over. Um, has there been people now on the BI side in the company build up to, to take over from you or how will the topic continue at Kfz Teile? So, of course, BI will be always part of it, but we think the IT will be also more involved in this project because at the end, pricing is a really interdisciplinary work because it's not about operations where do the procurement and decision how prices should be for every each product, but also BI connected always to the topic where they are providing data, basically connecting the missing dots between operation and IT team. And since it's highly automated and ideally, it should be a real-time price changes if necessary. IT is also really important for this topic. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank for the insights. Okay. The next one is Connie. Connie is our, what we call an HR auntie, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. So, in fact, um, if you talk to Connie, you really understand that what some people think about HR is really fundamentally wrong. There is a new development in HR, which means that HR is really... Um, nowadays, um, a functional area that works in a very data-driven way and Connie is driving that uh, to a big extent in our company and, and we're all very grateful for that. So can you describe a bit which actual decisions are taken supported by data at Project A? Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, th thanks for having me. And um, perhaps I just start with something else because you referred that it's fundamental wrong to do HR or the, the, the way normal normal um, companies do HR. I would not go that far. I would say like that's a way to do HR, to drive HR, but it should be extended over the data-driven way. That means you need still the classical um, core functions of HR that are, I don't know, payroll, stuff like that, where you have kind of difficulties to drive these areas absolutely 100% data-driven. But beyond that, there's a lot of challenges and areas and topics where you could do that. And at Project A, we do this, for example, in the talent acquisition side. That is the easiest way and the, the I would say, the most sensible and um, logical way to do it, to um, measure everything you do, um, which channel you use, which job ad you have outside in the, in the, in the recruiting world, um, how many uh, applicants you have, how many interviews, and to drive all these scenarios and processes over data. Okay, That's so basically when we say we do recruiting or talent mm -hmm. acquisition, we, it actually sounds to me as if we are following similar structures or logics exactly. as a marketing team would yes, do. Yes, exactly. You have channels. You have channels. You, have, you want to, to convert leads into, mm -hmm. into yes, hires or, or at least making offers to, the, to that person. So that's exactly, we always say that it's very um, sensible and important to drive recruiting like you would drive um, online marketing, for example. Okay. And you probably, similar to a customer value, have a hiring value exactly. against it. Okay. Exactly. Which other areas? other than recruiting? Um, then you have the area of the normal um, HR, from the normal uh, classical HR side, um, you should or I would always recommend to um, measure your engagement um, uh -huh. uh, in your company over, over data. Um, you measure performance over data. You measure also feedbacks over data. And um, not only to measure them, the most important thing on data, exactly like online marketing or um, um, in other areas where you have data, uh, BI, for example, is to analyze them and to take the action points. Now, how do you measure engagement? Um, by asking the right... You measure the smile on the face of the exa people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the, 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 the colors they're wearing every day, like, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how we... Uh, exactly. <laughs> we all wear black, so I should be, <laughs> I should be alert. No, um, we, of course, do this over... Um, we call them engagement drivers um, and where we ask the right questions in a very um, in a, in a high frequent um, um, process to say okay what's um, on the plate from the employee side uh, what is okay uh, nowadays what is um, not so good and um, we measure these answers and um, taking out some action points and we measure the net promoter scores exactly. that we get from our employees yes Okay. The employee net promoter score. Okay, yes. so are there tools out there with which you can do that? There are. Um, so we do it with Pecan, which yep. is quite famous at the moment and is um, giving you a very good, or has having a good approach to make it very easy. You don't have to implement huge tools or, or processes and um, can use it very easily in the HR team. 
mm-hmm. and also in the management team, of course. Tools in other areas, or how would you approach that? How do you do it in you recruiting, actually? We do it at the, at the moment. We're doing it very manually. We are together with BI trying to make it as much automated as possible. Um, but if you're not having the possibilities to have such a good BI team as we have it, that can provide you a lot of support and also advises how to do that, you can really simply just have an Excel sheet where you can measure and track things or to count them manually. That's all possible. It's not, I would say it's not the question out for, for a tool. It's more the mindset you have behind it, what you want to um, reach and what goals you have in the recruiting. And you can try to understand how much do I spend to hire somebody through a job ad versus direct search exactly. versus... Exactly. You can, you can measure almost everything and of course if you have a recruiting budget which is the starting point normally that you that you um, made up your mind what do you want to reach how many open position I would have in the over a year and then really say okay that's the, the budget that I need and how do you spend it the most possible ways uh, looking at recruiting probably there aren't so many tools out there who help you to measure where and how to best invest your money when you want to recruit that correct um I, i would yes and no i would say i'm not the expert of what tools are in the landscape of, of hr tools out there i guess um there will be some people hearing our podcast and would say hey does she not aware that there is the best tool blah 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 out there but and you're welcome to tell us obviously exactly i'm, I'm always um really happy to learn if there is something new outside as far as i'm informed and know that uh, in Germany there is kind of with the data protection thing it's not that easy to implement a good tool tracking everything but again it's not that complicated to um, set up a simple structure and process to track the essential things in a recruiting from the recruiting side and I would always recommend to do this. So we do work with our BI team on that. Yes. And we try to understand in which channel exactly. do you get which hiring value exactly. for your euro invested. Exactly. And I also recommend, um, always recommend that it's it's important to do exactly like product is working a lot, the A-B testing. Uh-huh. Sometimes you really try something out and to do it, then perhaps come to the point where you say, okay, it's not working that efficiently, but we will try it out with another role another position or something like that perhaps it was something that was not so good but um trial and error from the testing side which channel is the best one for position xyz is always a good approach to to try and to learn what's the best out there so in our bright future you are not coming to me anymore asking me if we should (laughs) hire that working student for doing direct search or if we should um, be sponsoring um, an event f- yes. um, for um, employer branding, but you will basically tell me if we have budget X yes. and we need to hire these five positions, you will know data-driven where to put the money. Exactly. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Connie. Thank you for having me. Last but not least, Christoph, our Director of Venture Development and Sales. And we are now talking specifically because of sales. At Project A, you have just done a project together with our company Online Printers in the area of sales, uh, together with BI, and you have done something to optimize their B2B sales. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, so basically what we did at Online Printers is um, helping them out and trying to improve their key account management team. 
So maybe some background about the company so you understand the whole setting. Um, online printers, they sell um, printing goods, um, mainly to B2B companies, but it's an e-commerce model. So it's quite transaction heavy. There's a lot of customers, a lot of orders coming on. But obviously in the B2B space, you have a few customers that, that tend to get very big. Um, and you kind of want to make sure that those customers are also being taken care of with regards to their internal processes, their special demands that they have. Um, but it's, it's actually hard to find out who those customers are and to decide on which of those accounts your team should, um, should spend their time on. So what we try to do is basically implement a holistic lifecycle model um, that was trying to answer three questions. Number one was, who are those valuable customers? Trying to identify them as, as early as possible. And then making sure they actually reach the potential revenue level that they, that they can reach. And the third point is um, making sure that we don't actually invest too much time with all of those accounts because otherwise, if you have growth like you want to have it in, 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 our, um, in our companies, um, you can't really maintain scalable um, organizations. So those were the three questions. And this is where we needed the support of BI because this obviously um, means that we had to make sure, do we talk to the right people and when should we talk to them and what should we talk to them about? So those, those were the basic questions. And you can know that from the data. At what point in time? At what point in the process? Um, so actually quite early, and that was the, the, first, uh, the first question that we tried to answer, um, is um, trying to identify new customers as those key account customers as early as we can. Um, and we did that actually after two weeks. So two weeks after a new customer comes to the website um, and orders for the first time, we are able to spot actually quite accurately by now whether they will become a big customer um, or where they will maintain an average customer, more or less. And, and we could actually do this at online printers because we already have so much data. And that is what it makes quite interesting. It's one of our more mature companies, and they have good, clean data for the last six or seven uh, years, transactionally. Uh, and this actually fed the, the BI models quite well. So based on historical data, you could identify patterns that make, that make it likely that a customer, based on the first order, will be a highly valuable customer. And when the first order comes in, you say, now we make that a customer after whom we will go with full account management. Exactly, yeah. So we look at the first order and then the two weeks after. Um, and then use data points. Obviously, what did they order? What kind of product? How big was their first order? What kind of channel did they come through? Did they use express delivery service? Um, also some um, information on the company themselves, if we have it. So what industry do they come from? What's their company size? That's data that you can also get from, from third parties. So you can actually buy that data and enrich the information that you have to make the forecast more accurate. Uh, so what kind of team did you put together to actually run this on Project A side as well as on online printer side? Um, so it was in general it was a cross-functional team. Um, it was um, basically two people from the business side. It was myself and, and one of our venture developers. Um, but then from our side, there was obviously really high involvement from our data engineering as well. So Alex, who is one of our data engineers, actually came up and built the whole model and the algorithms that actually kind of, you know, that, that's the black box. That's the where the magic happens. Um, but it was also extremely important that on the side of online printers, um, we had people to talk to, so that was the key account management team that was already there, that was in place, because they obviously have the, the market knowledge, and they are also the ones that in the end have to implement this. So we come up with the, um, with the idea and the processes, but they are still the ones that phone up those customers and, 
and try to um, retain them for online printers. Similar question as I asked to Tama. Um, what does it mean in terms of cultural change? How does, in this case, the sales organization perceive this? Aren't they afraid you're taking a bit of their magic away? Um, a little bit. So in this case, actually, they um, they were quite open. But usually at the beginning, when you come into a project like this, they're also a little bit skeptical because they've been they've been doing this for a couple of years. They know the, the industry a lot better than you do. And also, most people are a little bit hesitant uh, with regards to, to change. Um, so what we try and do at the beginning is um, obviously be very collaborative and spend a lot of time listening to them and, and asking a lot of questions. Um, but then also trying to not just focus on our final big vision or our big concept that we have in mind, but maybe also some quick wins that actually make their daily work and their life easier and thereby gain trust and then we can start moving on to the bigger topics. It is understandable because eventually what that does is it changes the way they work really at, at, at yeah. the core, right? Yeah. Okay, but it's, it's great to hear that it, that it seems to work. Can you share some project results, um, at least on a high level? Yes, I mean, probably not, not all the details, but um, on a high level, actually, is that we managed uh, to grow sales with existing customers by more than 10%. Um, and actually, also, in the international domain, we achieved a seven-digit revenue plus. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Christoph. Thank you uh, to all the others. Um, that was the last episode in this series about business intelligence. Um, I hope it was interesting for everybody and hope to have you here listening to our podcast very soon again.